friends and listeners, we're HealthScape, a podcast exploring the healthcare ecosystem through intimate conversations with healthcare's biggest leaders. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Club and supported by the Healthcare at Kellogg program at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. Welcome to the HealthScape podcast. My name is Dee Gao, a second MBA student at Kellogg. Today's guest is Karen Tautbaum, a proud Kellogg alumna. Karen is currently the president and CEO at Sinai Chicago, an urban teaching healthcare system comprised of four hospitals, 800 physician medical staff, over 3,000 caregivers, an epidemiology research institute, and a community institute serving 1.5 million people who live in Chicago's west and southwest side. She also serves on the boards of America's Essential Hospitals, Illinois Health and Hospital Association, Adventure Health, and Blink Science. Karen has a bachelor's degree in communication from University at Buffalo, a master in arts in speech and language pathology from Northwestern, and an MBA from Kellogg School of Management. Karen, welcome to Housecape. Oh, thank you, Dee. I'm so happy to be here. I know we just covered your background. One thing really caught my eyes is that you majored in communication, speech, and language. So how did you get into healthcare? Uh, well, I wanted to originally, my thought was that I would be a speech pathologist, probably in a school, um, so I could you know, uh, have a schedule that allowed me the summers off. And none of that happened. Um, I actually went to the hospital world from there. And uh, after serving as a speech pathologist at a hospital in Chicago for two years, I went to a private agency in Chicago um, that was owned by somebody who lived out of town. Ultimately, he wanted to sell the agency. I ended up buying it. And that's when I went back to healthcare, but always intended to stay. Uh, that's when I went back to um, Kellogg for my MBA, but always intended to stay in healthcare. Wow, that is really interesting story. So as we all know, healthcare is actually a really complicated industry. One can choose to work with payers, providers, manufacturers, or working supply chain. And there's like drug, device, or digital, just name a few. Why did you choose a healthcare system? And why did you choose Sinai in particular? Well, you know, it's interesting because I have worked in a pharmaceutical company. I've worked at a uh, the network level of a healthcare system, which is not the hospital level. Um, but I really find that there's an energy in hospitals and a sort of an intellectual engagement about solving problems, all kinds of problems, whether it's um, finance and revenue cycle, whether it's actual hands-on with the patients, which is what we're all there for or um, strategy. Uh, so there's more than enough in a healthcare system uh, to keep one interested and, and on one's toes. So uh, Sinai in particular has been my, in, in my kind of recollection of all the hospitals and healthcare systems I've been at, it's, it's really been my passion because we serve the most vulnerable communities in Chicago. Um, we are 60% Medicaid insured patients. We are another 20% Medicare, so we partner in a huge way. We're very reliant on the government. And we're about 10% absolutely no pay. 
Um, so those are un, primarily undocumented people who live in our community. And in my opinion, healthcare is a right. So we serve everybody in our community. Um, and that's been the job that's really caught my passion the most out of all the jobs I've had in my long career. Well, thank you so much for explaining the uniqueness of Sinai Chicago. Um, definitely agree with you, hospitals um, is playing such a significant role in the entire healthcare ecosystem. Now I'm going to ask you some questions about COVID since it has been a big part of our lives for over a year. And during this time, hospital systems have been at the forefront. So could you please share how the situation has been like for Sinai Chicago in the last 12 months? Oh my gosh, it is like running, in the first surge, it was like running two hospitals. You're running your regular hospital. And then on the other hand, you're running a COVID hospital, which requires, of course, different staffing, one-on-one -on -one staffing. You need a lot of protective equipment, as we all know. And um, it's that kind of care is uh, really um, fraught with, uh, for the caregivers, um, fraught with some worry. Um, as one of the caregivers said to me, they're not worried about, she wasn't worried about herself. She was worried about bringing the disease home, bringing the virus home uh, from working on our COVID unit. But one thing that happened was that our, um, let me say, many, many things happened. One thing that happened was that our entire team to manage through the first surge where we didn't know when it would plateau. Um, all we had to go on was the situation in New York, California, Washington, which was very frightening for any hospital to see those hospitals overwhelmed. Um, but our team pulled together all across the system to make sure that Things happen, things happen right, things happen safely, things happen quickly. For example, within a matter of weeks, we got 139 people up on telehealth um, providing uh, visits. And our visits, because we had to cancel our ambulatory visits, um, as every hospital did, we had to cancel our elective surgeries. So telehealth became a means to make sure that the patients were still safe and healthy and did not have to come into the hospital. Uh, so that was a huge pivot for us. Um, we had to figure out um, setting up a COVID unit and then a post-COVID unit at a rehab hospital. So there was a lot to figure out. Um, our caregivers were magnificent. They were absolutely unselfish. Um, all that they cared about was the patients and their own families, um, you know, being safe. The other thing that happened was that because we serve communities of color, um, about 50% Latinx and about 50% Black in our communities, we saw, Sinai Chicago saw a um, morbidity rate, uh, I'm sorry, mortality rate of about 18%, where the rest of Chicago and the rest of the state was at about 4.5% because our communities have so much um, comorbidity, diabetes, lung issues, heart issues, all the things that contribute to death in a COVID patient. So we were dealing with a lot of intensely ill patients during that time. And in the second wave, it's we only have 18 patients in the house now, whereas at, on any one day um, in the first wave, we had 80. You can see that it's a, a big difference at this point. Wow, everything 
really sounds a lot of pressure to me. They say in crisis, someone really exhibits leadership. So what has COVID taught you about your personal leadership? You know, I think that the biggest thing was to uh, two things. One was transparency and communication that we started putting out early on a daily dashboard for our all of our 3,200 caregivers where people could see how many patients were in the house and which of our hospitals. When I say in the house, I mean the, the healthcare system uh, in our hospitals, how many patients had died, how many caregivers had contracted COVID um, and, and what the statistics were across the city. And at first I was afraid to do that. I thought people would get freaked out, but then once we started doing it, I realized that it was better for us to make sure everybody was as informed as possible about the big picture so that people weren't left to making up their own narrative about what the situation was. And the caregivers really appreciated that. And the other thing that I learned is to stay close to the caregivers. In New York, there was a, um, an emergency medicine um, physician who committed suicide. And it really got me thinking, you know, if we didn't make sure that we were checking in with our caregivers and really taking care of them and getting people to help when they needed it. Um, I, I would fear for the kind of, um, you know, the, the mental stress that people were in. So we trained all of, we, we had a big uh, training session with all of our leaders across the system. And the expectation was not that they would counsel people, but that they would literally have a one-on-one -on -one conversation where they were sitting down with their caregivers and asking how they were doing and just assessing if somebody really needed to be perhaps offered counseling because of the stress. So I think that that was, that was important as a leader. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for sharing um, what you have shared the lessons and practices are important for all the leaders, regardless of what industry uh, they want to uh, work in. So the reason why we want to invite you as our second guest to Housecape is that many students are interested in going into the provider space. Maybe we can spend some time discussing your role in Sinai and the trends in provider. So you have been working in the hospital systems for over two decades. What are some of the most significant changes you have seen? Well, you know, this, is, this has been a time unlike any other for uh, hospitals and healthcare systems. Um, there's different competition than when I started. Um, every organization from Walgreens, Walmart, CVS, to, um, you know, even uh, Amazon getting into some form of healthcare. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not your mother's healthcare system anymore. I mean, it's just a whole different world of competition. There's a big stress, and I think rightfully so, I'm a proponent of this, of keeping people healthy where they live. Um, and that's not, unfortunately, the system doesn't reward hospitals yet for keeping people healthy. Um, unless hospitals are taking contract risk where you get paid to keep people healthy. And that's that many hospitals are in position to do that. 
So at Sinai Chicago, we're very focused on keeping people healthy in the community, even if it's at a uh, detriment to our bottom line. I actually get paid, and this is what this is so, you know, D, this is so, um, I don't know, so messed up. I get paid more if I amputate somebody's leg from a diabetic um, condition than if I send a community health worker out to that patient's home to work with the patient and keep them healthy. Now we do the right thing. We have a big, we're, we're pioneers in the community health worker space and we're experts in that. And that's what we do for chronic diseases. But the hospital bottom line would be a lot better if we got paid for that and not for amputating somebody's leg, which we all agree is not the right thing to focus on. Wow, those are really powerful stories. It's really good segue going to the community. I know you recently did a TEDx talk on community-based innovation for health. The tale of the two Chicago's was really shocking to me who did not grow up in Chicago area. So why did you choose this topic and what has Sinai Chicago been doing to push for a more community-based healthcare system? Yeah, I'm a big proponent of community health workers um, and that is a profession. Um, yeah, so you, you referenced tale of the two, two cities, but it's not really two cities, two neighborhoods, right? Um, so the example in my TEDx talk was if you lived in Streeterville, um, which is a very, you know, relatively wealthy neighborhood versus Englewood, which is a uh, really a vulnerable neighborhood, um, you would, you, your life expectancy is much greater if you live in Streeterville. Um, so these vulnerable communities struggle with employment, housing, safety, many times food and health. Um, so it all contributing to a lesser lifespan. Uh, the community health workers are people that we take from the community. We invite them to come in to be trained in identifying, educating, and then going back out to the community to get people into care where chronic diseases are um, are rampant. So we look at um, breast cancer, we look at uh, diabetes, we look at asthma. Those are just a few of the examples that we focus on with our community health workers. The community health workers frequently are people who are underemployed or unemployed. So we're getting at that employment issue because employment is so much in these vulnerable communities at Sinai. Employment is about, um, I'd say between five to seven times that of the rest of Chicago. And nobody cares about coming in for your screening mammogram if you don't have a steady job and you don't have a paycheck or roof over your head. That's why employment is so important to health. So the community health workers are people who are unemployed or underemployed um, in our community or simply have a great desire to learn about chronic diseases. We train them and then we put them back. We hire them, we put them back in the community to knock on their neighbor's doors. I mean, neighbors will talk to these trusted community members. And then our community health workers get those community members into care if they're at risk um, and also help them manage the healthcare process. So we've had great quantifiable results, for example, with our pediatric asthma program, 
for every dollar we invested, we saved 14. Who wouldn't want a program like that? Keeping kids, at, it was a pediatric program, keeping kids out of the hospital, out of the emergency room, teaching the family how to use the inhalers correctly and how to get rid of triggers um, and doing it, saving money for the system. So I'm a big proponent of community health workers. Yeah, so during our conversation, you have mentioned like employment, uh, financial situation, social status a lot. Uh, we know social factors really impact our ability to achieve optimal health. And these social determinants of health or SDOH in short can be really challenging for any healthcare system to address. Anything else you want to share with audience as Sinai is doing to address SDOH? Oh my gosh, I mean, we are, we are involved in so many initiatives. Uh, we work very, very closely with our community. Um, we don't simply, at the hospital, we simply don't decide what the community wants. Every community that we work with has what's called a quality of life plan that is put together with many, many editing sessions from the community. So it reflects what the community says they need. We put that together with, with health data and then we work with our community organizations to look at housing, to look at, um, right now we're doing a lot on vaccine education because these communities are hesitant to come in. One of the biggest things that's so exciting at Sinai Chicago is a project called Ogden Commons. And Ogden Com in Ogden Commons, we have three par two par other partners. One is Cinespace which is the film studio in back of Sinai. It employs 15,000, more than 15,000 people. It's the biggest sound studio outside of LA. And also one of our other partners is the Habitat Company, which manages, builds and manages real estate. And the three of us are partners in Ogden Commons, which is a, um, a project that spans 11 acres on Ogden Avenue. It's the biggest investment in North Lawndale in 10 years. And it's part of the Mayor's Invest Southwest initiative where the mayor's really doing a wonderful job of investing in vulnerable communities. So this project is going to have three commercial buildings. Sinai is taking the first one. We're moving our most used programs that are ambulatory like, di like dialysis and um, uh, outpatient surgery to this new beautiful building. But it also has about 500 units of mixed income housing, which is very important. You know, we talk about determined. So we're, we're increasing access to healthcare because we're going to be able to expand a much needed program like dialysis with all the, the kidney disease that we have and diabetes care. And um, there's also going to be housing. There's also commercial that's got, uh, you know, uh, companies that are, that's going in. Uh, for example, Wintrust Bank is going to be going in. That's wonderful for the community because there isn't a bank. I look up and down Ogden, there isn't a bank for our community in our neighborhood. So we're planning on doing financial um, literacy education. Um, uh, Wintrust will be there to be available for loans that are not predatory, um, loans, um, mortgages, so it all fits together in terms of what we'd like to see for the community. We're also getting uh, three restaurants in Jaw Grill, uh, Steak and Shake, and uh, there's a coffee shop that I think is going in. I don't know if that's official yet, but 
On the surface, it sounds like, well, doesn't every neighborhood have that? And if you look up and down Ogden around our hospitals, we don't have that in walking distance, really. So this will be a place for community members to congregate safely. Um, it adds to the safety, it adds to the vibrancy. So those are, those are some of the things that we're working on, many, many more. Wow, that sounds so exciting. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. I'll be looking forward to hearing more about our progress. As uh, I totally agree with you, healthcare should really be part of life. We should fully integrate into um, the improvement, the quality of life for our people living in the community. So um, any other innovations in the healthcare delivery space you are most excited well, about? Well, I think the work that we've been doing with COVID has been very, very exciting. Our Sinai Urban Health Institute, which is our research arm, and our Sinai Community Institute, uh, which is our uh, community-facing programs, have both been very, very involved in uh, contact tracing, for example. Um, that's very important for us to get COVID under control, right? So uh, those two institutes have been active in that. Sinai Community Institute has knocked it out of the ballpark in terms of working with the community on um, any number of community education uh, town halls, but also doing a seminar on um, how to bring people back safely on site um, for our small businesses. Rather than, there's, there's no real direction from the government, right, on how you can reopen and safely bring people back. So we're providing that. So doing a lot of education on vaccine uptake and making sure that people know the vaccine is safe. Um, and we want to get people in, we want to understand why people aren't getting in, and then we want to bring them in to increase the number of insured, uh, not insured, to increase the number of vaccinated uh, community members. So lots of work in that space. Yeah, good to hear. I'm sure all the audience, just like me, can already see you have done a lot since you became the CEO and the president of Sinai Chicago seven years ago. What is the accomplishment you are most proud of? Oh my gosh. Um, well, Ogden Commons is a big thing for me. I've worked on this for, I think it's going on 10 years. So if I can, I think it's about right. Um, but to be able to drive down Ogden, it's gonna open, uh, our, our building's gonna open next, next uh, fall. And to see that come to life is just wildly exciting. Um, I think that I'm, I'm most proud, though, of the fact that uh, Sinai's been around for 102 years. Same mission. We were opened in uh, 1919 for the purpose of serving, at that point, Jewish immigrants who had come from Eastern Europe to Chicago, who had nothing. Again, a very vulnerable community. And so businessmen in the community came together and bought the land and built Mount Sinai Hospital, our first hospital. So from there, our community has changed. You know, now uh, when the, the Jewish community moved primarily up north and the uh, black community um, moved from the south to Chicago. Um, and then uh, the Latinx community lived, moved primarily to Pilsen, a little village in our neighborhood. I'm most proud of the fact that Sinai at this point is a stable, what we call safety net hospital. That was always my goal to get Sinai to be financially stable so we could be here for the next 102 years. And right now we are at that point. We've really built philanthropy as well. 
Um, we've had a year over year of record breaking donations and I'm so grateful to the civic community and the philanthropic community who invest in Sinai and see that you know, there can't be two levels of healthcare in Chicago. One if you're in Streeterville and one if you're in North Lawndale or Marquette Park. So, so many people have contributed to that, but that's what I'm most proud of. Wow, you have really shown your vision of a better healthcare system. Um, so a lot of our audience are interested in your career path and would love to get some career advice from you. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about career development in the last few minutes. It is really inspiring to see more women become CEOs and board members in the healthcare industry. Did you always want to be a CEO? How did you get to today's position? No, you know, I, I always call myself the accidental CEO because that really wasn't on my mind. Um, uh, years ago, my first non-clinical job, uh, somebody very wise said to me, only take jobs that interest you and everything else will work out. And that's exactly what I did. I did not go a linear route with the idea that I would become, you know, have increasingly more responsibility, but I only took jobs that seemed um, intellectually engaging where I could do something good and contribute. So I have more of a generalist background, um, but that's that actually has served me well in terms of knowing enough to know what questions to ask about whether it's managed care, running a physician group, running hospital operations, business development, and so on. Um, but I rely on my great team to really take those areas and shine. Um, so I never thought, gee, I'm, my, my ultimate goal is to be a CEO. Um, back in 2012, I had actually accepted another COO role in, I was COO at Sinai first, and I accepted another COO role in Boston and was uh, just about ready to make that announcement and move when my board called, the board chairman called me at Sinai and said, um, you know, we were always gonna make you CEO, we'll just put that in writing now. And so how could I, I love Sinai, how could I turn down Sinai um, to be able to have the privilege of running it? So that's how I ended up there. If it wasn't for that phone call, I would be in Boston doing something. Not sure, that was a long time ago, almost 10 years. Not sure what I would have been doing, but I wouldn't have been here. Well, your story have shown um, just a ch follow your interest, do a good job, and the good things will come. Um, I'm going to ask you the last question on your advice. So a lot of MBA students are interested in working with health system. What advice do you have for them? Well, I think it's really good to get some, some real life experience in whatever venue you want to be in. So I think making connections, doing networking, which you, Dee, are so good at, um, is very, very important. And being able to try to do an internship or shadow make sure that you understand what you're getting into. If you haven't really worked in a hospital before, there are so many areas. You could be in quality, you could be in purchasing, you could be in operations, you could be in business development. And without really getting a um, personal experience with it, I think that it's very hard to know what you really wanna be in. Um, so I think making those connections, spending some time in a hospital, 
or a health system would be very, very important to see what really catches your passion. Wow, thank you so much, Karen, for sharing with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Dee. I was thrilled when you asked me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Support us by subscribing to our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about healthcare at Kellogg, visit us at the website linked in our podcast description. Have a great day.